Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everyone, welcome to our post-PAX episode of Excitement. Yes, and we got a special guest with us this week, our good friend Jerry. Hello, everybody. Yeah, all three of us piled into Peter's car and drove the not-so-long trip to Philadelphia. Thanks for driving again, Peter, by the way. Oh, no worries. Now, hold on. Before we get into this episode proper, Jerry didn't do his normal hi-all, so I couldn't do my normal hey-o. Yeah, I was trying to dodge the uh, Bushwhackers reference this time. All right, it's out of my system yeah, now. I mean, yeah, dude, like l- last time I had, I actually got a picture in the uh, YouTube version of the podcast. What more do you want? You know, you can't beat the Bushwhackers with... A stick. I believe you can, and should. <laughs> hey, I don't know how those guys are doing these days. You probably want to be nice to them. They might be geriatric at this point. Yes, yes, they probably would be. But fond memories from my youth. But anyway, we're not here to talk about wrestling or the Bushwhackers. We are here to talk about PAX this week. PAX Unplugged. And some of us were more unplugged than others, but we'll get into that with our discussion. Oh yeah, Peter was quite unplugged. I had to pull his plug for him. Well, my voice box... Don't leave that in the podcast. (laughs) My voice box was definitely unplugged after about half a day. So that that tends to happen for me at conventions. But before we get into our full convention coverage of the games we played, the people we met, let's thank some of our Patreon supporters. This week, we'd like to thank Derek J., Mark Blanchard, and Jared Orlando. Uh, Derek and Jared are co-op fans, and Mark is a co-op MVP. So thank you, Derek, Mark, and Jared, and thank you to all of our Patreon supporters for everything you do for us, helping us put on the show, helping us attend cool conventions like this one, and just bringing you the best co-op and solo gaming news we can. Well, and to be honest, this episode is almost sponsored by Patreon, right? Like, without Patreon, we probably wouldn't have all been able to go to PAX. We wouldn't have been able to bring you coverage of the latest and greatest games. And so, yeah, I mean, this is why we've done the Patreon, to bring you guys more content. Yeah, I mean, for real. Like, we, we literally paid for the hotel and gas money and stuff with Patreon money. So, <laughs> it's, it's entirely true. So, really awesome. Thank you all. Yes, thank you so much. All right, so now on to the fun. So there are many different ways we could have covered this, but we figured the best way to do it is kind of cover it day by day, what we did. That way you get a little bit of a feel for what the convention is like, as well as just our, we almost have three completely different stories because although we went together, we really didn't spend a lot of time together, although we played a lot of games together. So you'll, you'll when we get to the game coverage, you'll get that. But then there'll be a lot of like, I did this, and then I did this in between. So hopefully this is entertaining for you as well as informative with all the latest hot games coming out. Yeah, it's it's really like sort of the wheel of time over here. We have like Perrin and Matt and Rand. God, why did I make this reference when I can barely remember the books? <laughs> Good question. So, you know, uh, Jerry was over like fighting with the scene, Sean, and I was uh, learning how to master the one force. And Peter was living in a farmhouse. That sound about right? No, it's the one power. The one power? I mean, well, you know, well, Star maybe Wars. You the, maybe you did the true power. Baby Yoda. Things happen. <laughs> hey, no spoilers on this episode. Come on now. All right. Oh if gosh. nobody knows what Mike's talking about, that's all right. We're not going to explain it anymore. <laughs> 
All right, so without further ado, I guess we can start off Thursday night. Mike came to my house. This is the first time Mike has ever slept at my house, so that was kind of cool. I was like, oh, maybe we'll play some games, do whatever. No, Mike came over, tired. We had to get up at 5 a.m. the next day, so kind of crashed, just went to bed. Yes, it was an exciting beginning to the adventure. Like, really, everything I could have expected, sleeping on Peter's guest bed. And I was up till about 1 a.m. putting together a prototype for spare parts, because I know some of the people from the Slack and some of our other friends that were going to attend wanted to play it. So I was literally throwing it together that night before we left. So I was up till about 1, and then we woke up at 5 to pick up Jerry at 6. Which explains why Peter slipped the rest of the convention. Yes, so my story will be the story of Z's. <laughs> so we picked Jerry up around 6, headed down to the convention, and when we got there, it was pretty quiet. So Mike, this was your first big convention. What was your first impressions as we got there, got our badges, all that stuff? I was very impressed just by the size of the convention center, and I know from what you all have told me that it's not nearly as big as Gen Con, but... For me, little small town guy that I am, I mean, I don't really live in a small town, uh, it seemed very impressive. And just, gosh, the, the vendor hall and the playing hall, it's like this one giant, humongous area, but they have the vendor hall where all the publishers are. It's a kind of partition they can shut off uh, after, I guess, like 6 o'clock every day. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of people. I mean, it was way more Saturday, but even Friday still impressed me with how long the lines were. And just uh, so many cool things to see, so many great games on display. Yeah, we'll get into the lines later. I know it's Jerry's favorite part of the convention. Oh, yeah. So we did start to wait in the line, and then we're like, what are we doing? We don't care if we get in the vendor hall right when it opens. So we left the line and then wandered off. Yeah, well, hold on. L- l- let me illustrate this for you, because this the <laughs> our idiocy on display was spectacular. So they had, like, these uh, sort of corralled, like, little queues you could stand in to get in the vendor hall first. You know, as though... It's not like any huge first releases were here. Like, Frosthaven was not available to purchase or anything. So we realized we could either stand in that line for an entire hour doing nothing (laughs) uh, to get in the vendor hall at 10 a.m. Or, and this is what we did, just walk around and do other stuff and get in the vendor hall at, like, 10.07 a.m. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, definitely wasn't worth standing in the line. Even on Saturday when it was busier, it was still, like, maybe a 10 or 15-minute wait to get in the vendor hall either way uh, if you didn't stand in the line. Yeah, we'll get into Saturday a little bit later, but I would say even if you're not planning on getting in right at 10, you still want to get to the convention center a little bit early. There's still stuff to do, as we found out on saturday some of the halls or some of the rooms are open a little bit earlier too plus you can always just sit around play, find a coffee table or something and play some games before the convention officially starts just bring your own fun with you so before we get too far i wanted to say a couple words about the security at pax so for anybody who attended last year they probably noticed that the security lines were ridiculously long and it really discouraged you from going outside the convention center to like have a bite to eat or something because the lines to get back in were, were kind of ridiculous. This year, they kind of changed things up a bit, and they went from multiple entrances to just two on either side of the convention center and added a lot more metal detectors and screening people, and that ended up working a lot better. So just for those who attended in 2018 and were disappointed by the security procedures and lines, uh, they did make some significant improvements to that for this year. Yeah, I think it was better and worse, right? Because better, certainly, by a mile, in the fact that you didn't have to really wait in lines, for the most part. Worse, though, in the fact that there was only 
two places to enter and they were pretty far apart. And so, you know, last year you were able to come in from some side entrances, things like that, and you didn't have to walk as far. Now that's just laziness talking, of course, but you know, there, there were some definite pros and cons to the security system, but overall for me, much, much better. Yeah, I still think it's a little weird that PAX Unplugged even feels the need to have this security. None of the other conventions that we go to regularly have this, like Origins or Gen Con, which is at least twice the size of PAX. They don't have any of these metal detectors or security. You can just kind of go in and out wherever there's a door, really. So I'm not sure why they do this security. I'm guessing it's for some insurance reason, but it was much improved from last year. All right, so no offense to Philly here, but, I mean, you're talking Indianapolis versus Philly. (laughs) There might be a reason they have metal detectors. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure no one from Philly will take offense to that. Yes. Well, all right, so getting past security line, let's talk about what did we see when we first went in. So, Mike, I know you had a bunch of stuff, like, listed. Actually, why don't you talk about that, your list you put together before we went there? Yeah, so... uh... I knew that Peter was doing about zero prep work before going to the convention. So, well, except for all the prep work, getting spare parts together. So I sort of decided early that I wanted to like really go full on media coverage for this convention and focus on that as kind of my main purpose for being there. So Board Game Geek had this great feature where all the major publishers that were going to be at the convention had listed all of their games, and it was on this... This cool thing, I haven't seen this before on Board Game Geek, it was a list where I could uh, filter it just with all the different things I might want to filter for. So as you can imagine, I filtered for solo and co-op, and really focusing on the co-op because there were so many Euro games there that had a solo mode, but like too many to cover in a meaningful way. So I really just wanted to hit the co-op games. So yeah, I found every single co-op game that was uh, being apparently offered at the convention, and I narrowed it down some to about uh, 30 games I wanted to check out. I did not get to all of them, but I got to the majority of them and actually found some new ones I hadn't heard of. So, yeah, a Friday I took a look at four games in a major way. I saw a lot more, but didn't like do interviews or plays of them yet. But uh, the big ones I looked at were Divinity Original Sin, which is uh, currently on its Kickstarter right now, uh, pretty close to finishing. Atlantis Rising 2nd Edition, that's going to be available in January, and you might have heard of that game before because it's a favorite of Collins. He did a playthrough of the first edition way back when on the channel, and he's also uh, talked about it on uh, his best of episodes and videos. I saw some of Cloudspire, that's from Chip Theory Games, and I saw a little bit of the One Deck Galaxy Beta, and that's uh, coming to Kickstarter in January, I think January 7th. So do you want me to kind of go into a little bit about those games? Sure. So uh, Divinity, they actually set up uh, like sort of curated demos. So not everyone could demo. You had to have an appointment. So I did mine on Friday. And then uh, Jason Perez from Every Night is Game Night, who was at the convention, he did his on Saturday, which was cool because we got to kind of compare notes. But if you don't know this game, it's based on the uh, computer games, the role-playing games, sort of isometric, Baldur's Gate-ish style games. And uh, this is a board game version, I think mostly following Divinity 2, if I remember correctly, and the story of that one. But it's a uh, card-based adventure game. You are going to locations with kind of the cards laid out in a spoke, if you will, kind of like a clock of cards, like kind of going around a circle. And each location will have from like six to eight cards. But in effect, it's a little bit like time stories in that you can each go to different cards and kind of like read what's on that card yourself. But you can go to cards together or go to them separately. You might protect each other or, like, get bonuses together if you uh, go to the same card. 
but time is running down. So you got kind of like a little exploration mechanic there. And then when you get into combat, which uh, certainly happened pretty quickly, it's uh, partially dice-based, but you also have these resources. You have these action points you can spend. And uh, you can do, like, regular attacks. You can move from card to card. You can taunt enemies to move them around. And a big thing is you have this build. Uh, You start with four skills. That's what we had with our characters in the demo, at least. And theoretically, you can make these skills however you want. Like, you can fully customize your character. So I was sort of a rogue, kind of like poison people, a sneak up, uh, do double attack, dual wielding kind of character. And combat was fun. It was very, very quick. Uh, We had four players in the demo. And I think each of our fights took between uh, 10 to 15 minutes. There was a nice amount of cooperation in that you could use a skill that would lower the defenses of an enemy or move an enemy, and then somebody else could kind of capitalize on that opportunity. And they also have been touting a lot the sort of legacy-style campaign of the game. Now, not with legacy destruction, but with this idea that you kind of check off boxes as you make choices, and it can have pretty major effects. I talked about this in my little uh, YouTube video about this game, but we uh, made choices in the demo that kind of took us into a forest, and we didn't chase down these bandits. And when we came back to the town, it was half destroyed by the bandits because of that choice. And if we had gone even deeper into the forest, the town would have been completely wiped out. And, like, literally the cards representing the town changed based on that choice. Like, buildings were burned down, the art was different. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, it it was pretty neat. The one major concern I have, and I I told the designer this pretty directly, so, you know, hopefully he heard it a few times, or maybe I'm just wrong. I I, I hope either I'm wrong, or they do something about it. (laughs) Because uh, right now they have no way to really taunt anybody, unless you, like, build someone specifically to taunt. But I don't love the idea of forcing your players to have the exact same kind of class in every game you play. But uh, without that, the way enemies target people is kind of repetitive. Like, the same hero can get targeted by a bunch of enemies very easily. So in all three of the fights we had, one of the players was, like, that one person. And he got killed within, like, the first round or two every fight. So he almost never got to do anything. Now, he was a good sport and didn't mind, which kind of annoyed me because I wanted him to back me up with the designer. And he's like, no, it was fine. And I'm like, no, it's not fine, man. It's not fine if you didn't do anything for the entire game. But, uh... Yeah, he, he didn't really care that much, but I, I tried to tell the designer that many people would have a big problem with that. So uh, hopefully they, they do something for that. I suggested like a, a rule about just like something like blocking monsters, because right now, like if you're on a space with a monster, they just run away from you and kill somebody else. So if you just like had some kind of territorial control. But that's Divinity Original Sin. Uh, Kickstarter is ending, and I think it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm definitely into checking it out. Uh, I just hope they fix that one thing, but I think like the campaign was a lot more interesting than I thought, and combat with kind of the resource management and combos was a lot cooler than I thought. Yeah, I didn't get to check this one out, but just from between what I heard from you and what I heard from Jason, I don't really have a lot of interest in it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it'll be good, but you were complaining about that. Jason had other problems with the game, although he didn't have a problem with that, which is interesting to me because that would bother me to no end. Dying in one turn and the combat goes on, that's just, I don't know, that bothers me. Wait, and it happened to Jason, like at the beginning of an hour and a half long fight. Like somehow his fights were total grinds. So there's definitely some uh, some balance things, which, you know, is not unknown or unheard of on Kickstarter games, but yeah. So one fight was an hour and a half? So apparently they have this mechanic where, like, monsters can be spawned by some special effect of something you do. I think it was when he died, two monsters spawned, so he got back in the combat, I guess. But two monsters spawned, and from what I understand, they weren't scaled based on the level of the party. So they got, like, two super high-level monsters... 
I mean, I'm guessing if you're high level, maybe they're not that big a deal. So that that is what made the combat go on. Yeah, because fighting like people for your level, appropriate for your level, that was always very fast. So yeah, like balance concerns, uh, blocking concerns. If they fix those, I'm I'm into the core system of the game. I think that's really cool. I just hope they get kind of those kinks worked out. The only other full demo I played on Friday was Atlantis Rising 2nd Edition. Uh, This is a cooperative worker placement, sort of a simultaneous, like you all place your workers at the same time. And it was cool. Uh, It has a lot of cooperation. Um, I did interview the designers on Saturday, and they kind of walked me through the differences between 1st and 2nd Edition. And man, it seems like a huge improvement. And uh, this studio, this is uh, Elf Creek Games. They're really focused on, like, beautiful components. I think I was playing with, like, a deluxe edition, so they had, like, actual, like, metal pieces and stuff. So I don't know what you get if you just get the base game. But either way, it looked really, really nice. So, yeah, the, the, the game was fun. Um, there was some dice luck, maybe potentially more than I wanted. But everything else, like the choices, how quickly the game played, the co-op, the simultaneous, I love all that stuff. And it was a really pretty game. It's it's a fun theme, sort of forbidden islandish, where Atlantis is sinking and like the action spaces you use are sinking. So no, it was it was really cool. So is it like worker placement then, or? Yeah, yeah, like I said, it's cooperative, simultaneous worker placement. But like, if I place my workers on a place with your workers, we can like give each other bonuses and help each other out with our like character special powers. So that was, like, probably the best part of the game. So it's worker placement, but you actually want to be in the same places. So you're not blocking off spaces from each other. Well, you you do block off spaces. Like, the best spaces, the ones that have the uh, highest probability of getting the resource you want, those have the fewest uh, squares available. But some characters, like, have the power to add an extra worker placement space. So it's like, hey, now we can put two workers there. Uh, some people can, like, guard you because, like, the wave can wash in based on the cards you draw and knock those workers out so that their action gets wasted. But this one guy, like, I had the guy who could stand and, like, stop the wave for a turn so that way the workers could definitely finish their action. So, yeah, pretty cool stuff like that. Definitely interested in looking at that one more. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I have never even heard of this game, so I'm looking forward to checking that one out when you get it in, and maybe we'll do a full episode on it. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to send a copy so that I can kind of do coverage on the updates, so definitely looking forward to that. And the last two will be really quick. I didn't play them uh, at the convention. Uh, one is a Cloud Spire. This is, if you don't know, sort of the, is it MoMA? Is that what the genre is called? MOBA. MOBA. <laughs> I don't know what MOMA is. But yeah, it's, it's a MOBA, like where you have heroes and guys walking along lanes to attack towers. Uh, it has solo, co-op, and competitive. It's from Chip Theory Games, so it's beautiful. They have these like really nice poker chips. Uh, it looks awesome. I'm really excited to try it out. Uh, they did give me a copy f- to review, and I think it was going to come out before the end of the year, so you know I'll know more then. And then I also checked out One Deck Galaxy. They had... <laughs> The guys made fun of me this about this for the entire uh, weekend. They had like the game in just little plastic baggies because <laughs> it's like the beta edition. So I don't have like a nice version of the game yet, and things might change. But I, I read through the rules at least. I haven't uh, tried it yet. I'm going to cover it for the Kickstarter in January. But uh, yeah, it, it, it looks like the, the same soul as One Deck Dungeon like the same sort of dice resolution, but it looks like a much more open-ended system. Like you can put your dice on a bunch of different cards at the same time, and you can also like level yourself up with dice. So I think it's going to be a more interesting resource management puzzle. We'll have to see if it's too complicated for what it's trying to do, but I'm definitely excited to try it. Yeah, and I'm curious how the co-op is, because I liked One Deck Dungeon, but for me... It was a solo game. Uh, the co-op was fine, but I, I really hope they did some more things so you can cooperate a little bit more. 
It looked like it's about the same, where like you just have half as many dice. But I will say, I, I, I know you didn't like the two-player, but I, I really enjoyed one-deck uh, dungeon with my son, especially playing two-player. Uh, it's kind of nice that you have like less to do, because you have fewer dice. It's sort of simpler to play. Sure. So, yeah, I think Galaxy will probably be similar. How about you, Jerry? Have you ever played one-deck dungeon? Yeah, I've played one-deck dungeon. And I think I kind of agree with Peter that it felt more like a solo game to me, but I still enjoyed it as a solo game, which is fairly odd for me because I'm not much of a solo gamer. So I'm looking forward to trying one, what's it called, One Deck Galaxy? Or... Yep, and then it's going to keep on expanding. Next time it'll be like One Deck Singularity. Is that bigger? One Deck Cave. One Deck Multiverse. <laughs> well, there we go. That, that's better. One Deck Multiverse. All right, so Jerry, while Mike was demoing all these games, what did you do? Well, for the most part, I just wandered around the vendor hall. I figured I was probably going to do some more scheduled events on Saturday, which turned out to be true. So Friday, I just, you know, perused what was available at the vendor hall. And uh, like you mentioned earlier, that's PAX Unplugged isn't a new release convention yet. Uh, most of the new releases are still coming out at like Gen Con or Essen. So I didn't really see a whole lot that was particularly interesting. Uh, I did get a chance to pick up my pre-order of the Alien RPG, which is put out by Freya Ligon, I think their name is. But um, they do uh, Tales from the Loop and Things from the Flood, which were really the start of the Stranger Things-themed RPGs. And it uses a system called Mutant Year Zero. And I had played a demo of it at Gen Con, and I really had a blast with that. I think I talked about it on the Gen Con episode. But uh, yeah, I got to pick that up, and it's a really beautiful book. I think they sold out by Saturday early afternoon, if not earlier. Yeah, and other than that, I just wandered the hall and took a look and saw what was available. Uh, talked to some of the vendors, but I didn't really play anything. So anything jump out at you? No, uh, other than wanting to stop and look through the Alien RPG I just picked up. I heard that they were going to do uh, some Dark Tower demonstrations on Saturday. They didn't have it set up on Friday that I saw. That's by Restoration Games, and I think I'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. All right, cool. So here's a little theme for you guys. I basically meandered while they were doing that. If anyone has been with me at any social setting, they will know that I am someone who tends to get people together. Like, I'll get 10 people to go out to dinner, and then I'll just disappear for the night, and I'll end up talking to some random stranger in the corner somewhere. So I ended up talking to a lot of people I knew. I go to a lot of these conventions now, so so I do know some people, and I just ended up talking to them and just catching up what's going on in life. You know, I only get to see these people maybe once or twice a year, so it's always nice to catch up. So I ended up doing that. I did end up meeting with Joe from the Slack and his wife, and we played some Spirit Island, so that was fun. Got to introduce that to them, and they we, we started them off at the easy level, and they ended up beating it, and uh, I think they had a really good time with it. That game, every time I teach it, every time I play it, I just remember how fun it is. That was definitely my memory of Friday afternoon was, you know, playing Spirit Island with them and just going through that system again and and experiencing it through the eyes of new players. It's certainly an accessible game. There are a lot of rules going on, but I like how they ramp up the rules. And certainly we had full coverage of it earlier. But I mean, I don't remember if we talked about this or not, but they really do a good job of if you're a new player here's a set of cards. We're going to introduce them to you as you go. We're going to take out some other rules. We're not going to add in enemy, you know, the settlers aren't going to have their own civilization that does special things. And then they really do a good job of being able to scale up complexity and difficulty as the game goes along. So I always enjoy teaching that game to new players because I do think it does a good job of, of really having a level zero, a way to get in and really learn the game. 
So we did get back together for uh, food, for lunch and for dinner, and oh man, uh, P- Peter and I had some very exciting chicken. Yeah, that was pretty bland. But uh, so we went to the <laughs> market across the street. What was that? It's the Reading, Reading Terminal Market. Reading Terminal, Reading Terminal market. market. Yeah, I should know that. It's in Monopoly. Come on, man. Come on, Peter. You're better than that. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I guess they just don't add spices to their. Uh, marinade or whatever for their chicken it was uh just chicken flavored <laughs> with with fry around it and to make it worse jerry had like a delicious looking gyro and spanakopita and i'm like oh come on like i'm sitting here eating like blandest fried chicken ever and yeah, definitely my fault i'm the one who suggested the chicken so it, sorry, it was Peter. indeed a very delicious gyro yeah thanks i appreciate that <laughs> But uh, yeah, after dinner, we, we played a few games together. And these are not new releases. Well, well I guess Obscurio is new-ish, right? Yeah, that came out earlier this year for sure. Yeah, I think that was like a Gen Con release. So, Jerry, you were kind of running that one. Why don't you talk through uh, how that went? Obscurio is is a game very similar to uh, Mysterium, where there's a... I don't know if it's a, if it's a ghost in Obscurio, but it's basically someone who runs the game. And their job is to try to get the other players to guess... In this, in Obscurio's case, the correct doors based on using some images that they draw from a deck. So the leader will draw two images and they have to try to put little pointers on those images to get the players to guess a third image that's one of six that's available for them to choose from. And it's got some interesting differences from Mysterium that I thought were improvements on the game. It played a lot faster every turn you draw one i think it was called a trap tile that would add some wrinkle into guessing like maybe one of the cards the players couldn't even see so they didn't know if that was the right one or not Uh, there was another one that puts these cool little translucent filters on the cards to make it more difficult to see what the leader is pointing at but uh overall i thought it, it played very quickly it was a little easy i think that might be because we've played these types of games like dixit and mysterium in the past but it was a lot of fun yeah, I definitely viewed it as a evolution of Mysterium for sure. I don't know if I like it better or not yet. I think I do. Now, the one thing is we played three players, which is completely cooperative. If you go more than three, they do recommend a hidden trader. So I don't know how that would mess with things. And then certainly, obviously, wouldn't be co-op anymore. It looked like the hidden trader would have added a significant amount of playtime to what we were doing. So I'm kind of glad that we only played it through player. Yeah, I liked it a lot too, but that's my main concern. Like the hidden trader, you gotta like put cards in these sleeves and then pass them around and then take them out of the sleeves, and it just seemed like it would be a lot of extra busy work added to the game. And I mean, I'm sure you could play it fully cooperatively with more than three as well. It's just that, you know suggested that you don't. And obviously, we found it easy even with just three, so it might even be easier with more. Well, here's the thing: you can play with as many as you want if you just change the rules a little bit. Because the way it works is you each have a little selection pawn, and you can select different doors. You know, there's like six doors with cards up, and you can I can choose one, you can choose another, and you get a minor penalty if some of you choose wrong, as long as one of you gets it right. So you could very easily just take that out and say, like, you always only have two pawns. You just work as a group to decide where to put them. Or even, uh, you know, because I thought, like Jerry did, that it was a little bit too easy, you can make it always one pawn, and that would make the difficulty much higher. So I think there are very, very easy ways to make it fully cooperative at any player count, as long as you're willing to kind of variant in that kind of thing. Sure, and that is one thing I also liked better in Mysterium, is that you all get your own selection, because a lot of times in Mysterium, 
there can be dissension at the table and maybe one person thinks it's something else. And here, to be honest, it's, it's funny, the first two rounds we played, I actually thought your answer was right, but we thought it would be better to split up. And so we did, and it ended up my answer was right both times. So even I thought you had the better answer, you know, it gave us a little bit more selection. So it sped up the game a little bit too, right? Because if we had both selected your answer, then we would have to go through another round and we wouldn't have made progress, whatever else. So it gave you a little bit of chances to hedge your bets here. And if you want the game a little bit tighter, yeah, you just take some of those tokens out so you can't get as many wrong. So I definitely think there are some ways to change difficulty. And for me, I think you're right. I think this is the evolution of Mysterium that I was looking for. My only beef with the game is when you put those red transparencies over and they're meant to be something to obscure the colors. I barely could see what was going on. Now, maybe it was the lighting at the convention center, but I could barely see the card itself through the transparency. It was so dark and it made the image itself so dark for me. Didn't seem to affect your ability to uh, guess the right door, though. Well, yes. Yeah, in that case, it did not. <laughs> yes. I, I I had to look very closely, though. So I think after that and after we had dinner, we went into a nightmare, basically. Uh, the, the game swap. <laughs> oh, it wasn't that bad. So BGG does a geek list where you can list some games and people will buy them from you. So we all sold some games there. And yeah, it's one of those things where you go there and trying to find the people that you are supposed to meet up with. I mean... Hopefully you exchange phone numbers with them ahead of time, and I certainly did. And so you can call each other or text each other and say, hey, let's meet here, let's meet there. So I think it is a good way to get rid of games, because I certainly got rid of over 10 games, and Mike, I think you got rid of close to 20 games. Yeah, I think uh, 21 total. Yeah, so it's a good way to get rid of some games. Now, I did sell them way cheaper than I bought them for, but, I mean, what do you expect, right? It's like a used car. You buy it at a certain price, and most times you're going to sell it for less unless it becomes like a collector's item or something. So it is what it is, but, you know, for those of us who have been in the hobby for so long and we've had games on our shelves for so long and we've either played them enough times or found a game we like better than it, I think it's a good way to get rid of some games. So... We got together, found ourselves a spot, staked it out, and, you know, had people come to us and got rid of a bunch of games. Yeah, and there's a single person that I could not find the entire con. So whoever you are that bought my Dale of Merchant set, well, didn't buy it. Luckily, no money was exchanged. Uh, Sorry. I guess I'll keep playing it myself. Nice. Yeah, now, Jerry, we've been doing this the last couple years. What do you think of the the swap? Well, I just like being able to avoid having to ship the games and you know not have to pay for the shipping if you're buying games so i sold like five games this time at gen con i sold somewhere like 15 to 20 because they do one of these lists for all the major conventions they do it for bgg con gen con origins packs unplugged along with a math trade if you're more interested in trading games than selling or buying them uh, they have a math trade which is basically just a trade that tries to run a algorithm uh, that somebody has programmed to try to uh, maximize the number of trades by Like, I'll give one to person B, and B will give something to C, and then C will give something to me. So that way, you don't have to always match up direct trades. But anyway, they were both in the same area. They were in the Grand Hall of PaxU, and I I really appreciate not having to deal with the, the shipping and the shipping cost. I have games that I no longer want, and other people have games that I want that they don't want anymore, and being able to exchange those for relatively good prices is helpful for everyone. So uh, I appreciate that BGG has those lists. 
Yeah, and it's also a place where you can pick up games that have been out of print for a while as well. So, I mean, some people are selling their games for much more than they bought them for, but but it's a game that's out of print that you can't get anywhere else. So, I mean, I appreciate that too. The secondhand market is good for a lot of things. It is kind of a hassle sometimes. Two of my people weren't there that night, and I had to meet up with them later. And it is kind of a hassle to figure out where they are and really just figure out a place to meet. So that that is my only negative for it. But you guys did a much better job of getting everybody to show up at the game swap. Well, let's say your only negative. Don't forget that we had to figure out how to uh, store 60 games in our hotel lobby and then cart 60 games over to the convention center. That was uh, certainly a not great part. But we have 60 less games in our basements. Oh, it's certainly a beautiful thing. <laughs> and I love games, and I love them to death. But, yeah, sometimes you have games that's like, I don't want to see this one anymore. I'm not going to play it. It's never going to happen. And it's taking up space from a new game that I would like to have more. All right. So getting past that, we then played more games. Yeah, I think Friday night was probably my busiest time for actually playing games. I, I had a lot more like interviews and hanging out with people Saturday and Sunday. Sure. So the first game we played was something that Mike picked up at the game swap. Yeah, I traded uh, a Dark Souls expansion with Jason, not Jason Perez, but another Jason from our Slack. So thanks, Jason. He traded me Gloom of Killforth, one that Collins recommended. And uh, yeah, my recommendation is don't try to learn this game and play it when you're really tired at a convention, because I'm still not sure if we played the rules right and we uh, didn't get very far before we... uh, said we'll try it again later (laughs) so it seemed fine so far i don't really know uh, how i feel about it because i don't even know if i was playing the game correctly yeah that's one of the hardest things of a convention you know you have 24 hours and you're like oh we could play all these games and every convention i go to i tend to do this and i don't know why where you just pick a game off the shelf and you try to learn it right there and you try to play it right there and to be honest most of the times it's a really good experience but At the same time, especially at the end of the night, it's really hard to start and learn something new. But, I mean, I guess that's what cons are for. 24 hours of gaming, right? Back to, actually, uh, the Gloom of Killsforth game. It seemed like it had a lot of potential. Like, it looked like it was going to be fun, but maybe we were playing it wrong or whatever. But I, I got wiped out, I think, in the, what, like, turn three or something? Just by a combination of bad character building and poor dice rolls just sort of killed me from the get-go so that's when we decided i think to put it away and move on to something else yeah it does seem like there might be the chance for like some bad luck going really wrong so we'll have to see how that goes when i play it more and conversely everything came up roses for me and i was doing great i'm like what you guys want to stop i'm killing everything over here (laughs) well that's how i know we are playing it wrong right (laughs) and then we tried uh jerry uh one that you got from the trade right Yeah, I picked up a game called uh, Kingsport Festival, which is a remake of Kingsburg. Kingsburg was an old fantasy flight game, I think, that basically you roll dice and then based on the total you have, you can select different actions. And then there's also an element of building buildings that give you special powers and get you resources. And then at the end of every, I think, four rounds or something, you get attacked by, in this case, it's an investigator that has a certain amount of power that you had to have built up in the preceding turns in order to defeat. I really liked it. I liked the original Kingsburg. Apparently not enough to keep it, but it had been a few years, so I was interested to try it again. And, you know, I, I, I like the Cthulhu theme generally. Yeah, I had a good time with it. Didn't hurt that I won, but it, it, it was very similar to Kingsburg. So, Mike, what were your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I loved uh, it. Yeah, I, I did not enjoy it much. I found the, the luck of the dice rolls. I rolled low a lot and felt like I wasn't really accomplishing much because of that. 
And then also the uh, the randomness of the spell cards, which is something they added from Kingsbury. I did not like those either. So I, I'd try it again, but uh, definitely not a good first experience. I will say that the spells do add an element of luck. Like some spells are just way better than others. And I mean, it is what it is. I think you need some variance when you have cards like this. They can't all be the same or they're all boring. So I don't mind variance, but I do think they were a bit swingy. The one thing I do like, though, is Mike said he rolled low a lot. I think they've done a lot in this game to mitigate that versus what they've done in the past. So whoever rolls the lowest combination of numbers does get some benefits from it. They do get some power, which they can spend later to do other things. And if you consistently roll high, you won't have as much power to do like other things that you want to do later. So I do think they have a, a few ways to mitigate it, but it's certainly more than Kingsburg, but... Again, I mean, there's still going to be that randomness of you rolled what you rolled. And if I roll a 17 every turn and you roll a 15 every turn, then you're going to have a huge advantage because you're only a couple points below me. Whereas if I roll a 17 and you roll a 3 or a 4, there's a huge swing there and you're not getting any more bonus for that. So while they do some things to mitigate it, it's not, you know, 100% mitigated. So then Peter uh, had uh, the idea to go to this little event late at night. You want to talk about that, Peter? Sure. Last year, I had met up with Liz, and she said, hey, there's this whiskey meetup in one of the hotels called Home 2, and it's open this for- This is uh, Liz from Beyond Solitaire, right? Yes. And so I ended up meeting Liz there and had a great time last year, so I said, hey, let's do it again this year. And so Jerry and Mike ended up meeting me there. And we had a good time. Yeah. Liz actually had to leave right when we got there, which was a bummer for me. But I got to meet uh, in person for the first time Jeremy Howard from Jambalaya Games and Man vs. Meeple. And he was awesome. (laughs) One of the best times of the entire convention, hanging out with Jeremy Howard at a whiskey party late into the night. And I was not drinking at all. It was just really cool to play with him and kind of hang out. We played uh, Tim Eisner from Weird City Games had a uh, 1v1 drafting card game called Canopy that I think is coming out next year. And, uh, you know, the, the game was cool. I really liked the drafting mechanic. But just playing Jeremy and trash-talking each other and being goofy with it was a singular experience. Really, really awesome time. Yeah, and I met up with some people there who actually, and again, you could drink or you didn't have to drink. You know, it was a good night anyway, because it's not just about the whiskey. It's also about playing games and meeting new people. So last year, I played a bunch of games there. That's where I played just one for the first time. And where I told Mike when we came back, I'm like, we have to play this game. and We have to cover it. There were some other cool games I played last year. But this year, I ended up meeting an owner of an escape room. And he had never played The Mind. So you know me. I had a copy of The Mind in my pocket. And we started playing it. And they loved it. So I got to play the mine that night. You know, it's not a night where you're going to pull out the heaviest of heavy games because you are limited by space there. Although I've certainly seen people play some bigger games, but you're limited by space. You're limited by the lighting in the hotel. And there's just a lot of people there. So you typically want to keep it pretty quick games. But yeah, no, ran into a bunch of people I knew there, got to talk to them and got to play the mind, all of which made me happy. So that was Friday, first day of the con. Yeah, and we're only 45 minutes in, so hang on. Yeah, this 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 might have to be a two-parter. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we'll see what happens. If this uh, if the next two days take as long as the first, then we will definitely split this one up. So you heard it here first. So Saturday what is the biggest day of the convention. I'm, I'm guessing that's the same for probably all the conventions, right, guys? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And this is a weird one in that I had a ton of interviews scheduled ahead of time. Uh, Friday, I just kind of walked around and talked to people. But Saturday, I had like my entire morning planned out very specifically. But uh, Jerry, I know you got up early to set up some RPG stuff. Why don't you talk about some of that? Yeah, I got up early because uh, one of the things that PAX Unplugged is that there is very limited pre-registration for any events. Pretty much you have to get in line and register for events the day of the event. So at these conventions, I like to get some role-playing games in because, you know, with two young kids and and work and whatnot, I usually don't get to play too many role-playing games, and a convention is really the ideal place for me to get those in. So I got up early, wandered down to the convention center, kind of breezed through the security line and got in line for the RPGs. Uh, around, I guess, 8.30 or so, and uh, got into a couple of Call of Cthulhu games. And I'm glad I went early because the RPG line wasn't supposed to open until 9, 9 a.m., but by 9.15, the line was like you know, 300 people long. So most of the registration slots for all the popular RPGs, uh, not including Dungeons & Dragons, were gone by you know 9 a.m. So I registered for a couple RPGs. So um, the first one I did was a brief demonstration of the Call of Cthulhu 7th edition. I had played, I think, 5th edition and maybe 4th edition many, many years ago, so I kind of needed a primer on what the differences were on the 7th edition, so it was a quick two-hour session where uh, I think the scenario was you were all carnies and bad things happened and you had two hours to figure out what was going on and, and uh, try not to die. Please tell me you were juggalo carnies. No. No. Sorry. No juggalos? <laughs> Come on! Well, it, it, it was 1928, I think, so I, I, I think it was a little bit pre-Juggalo, so maybe we were proto-Juggalos. Nice. Uh, For those yeah. who don't know, fans of the Insane Clown Posse, the musical band, are called Juggalos, so... You know, I actually do that one, and I don't know how I do that, but that's that's interesting. <laughs> we use musical band very lightly in that context. Come on! but They're wrestling fans, <laughs> and like you know, they wear makeup and stuff, so they gotta be cool. Yes, that's what I think. When I think Juggalo, I think cool. Anyway, yeah, so I would, you know, they had pre-generated characters for us all, and I, I, I was a middle-aged magician, and then we also had, like, a contortionist and some other things, so uh, that was a lot, lot of fun. Uh, I won't spoil it for anybody who wants to play that demo. I think they run that frequently at cons, but uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it scratched my uh, Call Cthulhu itch. So what did you guys do in the morning? Yeah, Peter, I, I don't really know what you did. Well, I'll get into what I did later. Why don't you start with what you did, Mike? All right, so I'll run through these pretty quickly, because most of these games I didn't play. Uh, I met with North Star Games. I uh, played, or sorry, I didn't play, but looked at Paint the Roses, which is a co-op game coming up next year. And uh, true co-op, by the way. You cannot play this solo, because uh, you have uh, hidden information. And basically, you're putting down, like, uh, it's, it's Alice in Wonderland themed. You're trying to plant things for the Red Queen. And the basic idea is you each have a rule of, like, how you have to plant. Uh, You might plant, like, certain shapes next to each other of bushes or certain colors next to each other. And the other players are trying to figure out what your rule is. And every time you figure out a rule, you move, like, your little pawn of progress forward. But then the White Queen moves after you every turn. So it looks like it's going to be a fun kind of tension-filled thing of trying to get these rules as quickly as possible without with limited communication while the Queen just charges ever onward and uh, tries to catch you. 
So definitely excited to check that one out. Uh, I think they're trying to kickstart sometime in 2020, maybe early 2020. I also got to look at Cities Skylines. That's from Cosmos. Uh, Steve talked about that previously on a podcast. But I think it looks really cool. And uh, I was able to get a copy of that. They uh, had it for sale at the con. So we'll probably look at that ourselves, even though Steve already uh, talked about it some. Yeah, I played that one with you, so I can jump in a little bit here. Mike, remind me how the cooperation in the game works. Like, how do I build one thing and you do another thing? So you take turns playing cards, and I haven't played it fully yet, so I'm not sure about all of this. But you take turns playing cards, you can talk to each other. I think the rules say to put all your cards out, but, you know, if you're worried about alpha player, I'm sure you could just hold them in hand. And uh, they have these modules that you're recommended to play with pretty quickly, like you can learn the game at a simpler level, but you should play the modules pretty quickly. So uh, with those, you each have a specific character, and that gives you bonuses to playing certain things, so you might want to like set each other up. But yeah, I mean, the, the co-op is you know basically just working together to build the city, taking turns. Gotcha. So you're playing cards from your hand to play certain buildings on the board. And that's right. There's a spatial element as well. Or basically they say play a grocery store and pick a blue building and put it down. But it could be any of the blue buildings. And you're really picking different shapes based on whether you want it to touch other buildings you have. And you're you're kind of playing this spatial game as well as this cooperative game where you're trying to manage all these tracks. So all of it seemed kind of interesting to me. I don't know if we'll cover it or not, but it's definitely worth looking into. I'd say watch some playthroughs, whatever else. Yeah, and I, either Steve or I will have a playthrough uh, sometime in the next few weeks. So we should definitely have some more coverage. Uh, another thing that Peter and I did together, uh, really, really cool, we got to talk to two of the employees with Foreteller, uh, Jason and Sarah. And Foreteller was mentioned on another Steve episode when he covered the Isafarian Guard and interviewed the designer for that game. But this is a app that has like fully featured uh, voice acting and narration and sound effects and music to go with like these big campaign games. Uh, they're going to be with our Safarian Guard, but the big thing is that in the second week in January, they're going to have the app launching with Gloomhaven, narration for every scenario in the base game of Gloomhaven. Now, this is really cool. I'll be honest. Mike's like, Peter, come here. Put the headphones on. And I like put the headphones on and I hear the narration. I'm like, all right, Mike, it sounds good. You know, and, and one of the things that stood out to me right away is not only do they have narration, so I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and, you know, I've heard people doing narration before, and I thought it was pretty cool, but they have different characters, they have different voice actors for each character. So now you're bringing it up to another level, and then all of a sudden you start hearing, like, swords clashing in the background, and, you know, the tavern, when they go in the tavern, you hear, like, murmuring in the background. I, I just thought that took it to a whole new level. So, Mike, did we get some MP3s from them? Yeah, we did. Yeah, so I'm going to insert a little clip here, and then I'm going to put more of it at the end after our bloopers. It seems like as good an excuse as any to sober up and start paying off your tab. This thief has taken some important documents. Says the red-skinned merchant, her tail whipping about in agitation. I don't care what you do to him. Just bring back what is mine. Based on Jexera's description, it was easy enough to knock around a few alley thugs and get a location of the thieves' hideout. You don't find yourself as a mercenary way out in Gloomhaven without knowing how to crack a few skulls. 
So there it was. Yeah, that is so cool. But yeah, I mean, it sounds amazing. As a former actor myself, I'm really impressed by the talent they have with the voice actors. These are professional voice actors, the kind you might have heard in uh, video games and movies and stuff before. So it seems really cool. And and a thing they're going to be adding, they don't have it yet. I think they're planning this for late 2020 or early 2021. But they're going to have uh, additional soundtracks that just keep the game going. So, like, you hear the narration for the intro scenario for Gloomhaven, and then you'll just have cool music that fits that scenario playing as you play the game. And, you know, I already like kind of having that audio stuff there, so having that all integrated into one app, uh, super excited about that. Yeah, that sounds really cool, because I think that kind of thing really adds to the experience of playing a a game, especially like a dungeon crawl or an adventure game. Yeah, and I will say it's going to be one app for every game they do stuff for, and it's going to be $15 per game is the price they're thinking right now, which I think seems fair. I mean, this is ridiculous amount of content, you know, like hours upon hours upon hours of uh, professional recording and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I've said, like, I, I wasn't that excited to play base Gloomhaven again. I wanted to play some of the newer stuff. But uh, I think when this app launches, I'm going to have to play some Gloomhaven again and just experience the game in a new way. Yeah, and I think they will probably base it on the amount of work that they have to do, right? I'm guessing a game like Gloomhaven might be $15, but if they do a six-hour game, the price may vary. Yes, and and we did hear about some other games they're doing stuff for, but we aren't allowed to say (laughs) until things are finalized. But definitely some cool stuff on the horizon. In fact, we even... uh, we told, I think, two different publishers, hey, go talk to Foreteller, because <laughs> those guys didn't know who they were yet, but the games would really fit their model well. Well, yeah, and they haven't done anything yet, so of course nobody knows about it, but I think people will know about them soon enough. And I think people are going to want to add this, you know, certain people at least will want to add this to their game experience. And I do think it's neat that this service is available. And certainly for me, who is someone who likes story games, but doesn't want to necessarily read for three straight hours, I think it'll be a a beneficial service. You don't want to read for three straight minutes. That's why this is not scripted. (laughs) So after that, I did kind of just walk around. And this is uh, my favorite part of the con, because I met up with Liz from Beyond Solitaire, formerly mentioned. First time I've met her in person. We've, of course, talked a lot online and had her on the show. And she is the most fun person. <laughs> like Jeremy Howard, Jason Perez from Every Night is Game Night. They're close seconds. But Liz was just so much fun. We just like walked around the convention for probably like two or three hours straight. Which was really cool because, uh, you know, Peter and Jerry were kind of doing their thing. And... Doing the media coverage thing can feel kind of lonely because when I'm not talking to someone, I'll just kind of wander by myself and see if games are there and have that awkward moment where I approach a publisher and I'm like, hey, tell me about this. So like having Liz there to kind of talk through things together was uh, was really cool. And I got to play uh, Mental Blocks, which is one that should be available in January from Pandasaurus Games. No, that's been out for a while, dude. That's been out since Gen Con for sure. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so I got to play that with uh, Jason and Liz and some random guy that was there. And this is like a cool limited communication, uh, like building blocks together, but you can only see one uh, part of the block or one perspective. So that was fun. I I hate you because I literally tried to get Jerry to play that with me all Gen Con. And I tried to get you to play it with me all PAX. And then you went and played it without me. And I still have not played that game. And I am dying to play it. Yeah, they sold out, so I couldn't even get a copy, so... Sorry, Peter. <laughs> ah, so mad. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. 
But finally, my game of the convention for sure, uh, one I played with Liz before she had to go her own way, uh, was Final Girl from Van Ryder Games. This is a uh, new version, or a new game using the core hostage negotiator game formula. It is a solo game, by the way, but Liz and I just kind of played together. Something I've never really thought of before, but it's something I want to try with my son more now. Uh, just playing solo games like with him, kind of making choices cooperatively. Uh, definitely opens up the cooperative possibilities. But yeah, this is like a, a horror-themed like sort of slasher, like trying to survive Jason or somebody coming after you. And it actually has a map, which uh, Hostage Negotiator did not have in most of the versions. And it was just a total, total blast. I talk about it more on my YouTube video, uh, so I'll kind of leave it there. But uh, it was unbelievably fun. Now, it was unbelievably fun partially because Liz was there and Evan, uh, Derek, who works with Fan Rider, one of the designers. But, uh, man, I'm so, so excited for that game. Uh, really, really, really cool. I liked Hostage Negotiator. If this is an evolution of it, I liked it enough that I am super excited to play that. And I will say I liked Hostage Negotiator and never played past the base game. And I understand some of the other abductor packs really fixed a lot of the problems I had. So I really should give that game another chance. I certainly still have it on my shelf. But, you know, I'm not that into solo. And if I'm playing solo, I'm usually playtesting something that we're designing Certainly, though, I think Hostage Negotiator was good enough that I'm excited to try something that is an evolution of Hostage Negotiator, for sure. Yeah, I'm not much of a solo gamer either, but the theme of uh, the final girl in a, in a horror movie does interest me, so uh, I think I want to give that one a try. Yeah, the theme is the theme is one of the best parts about it. Like, they have a- every goofy, like, trope and rule you have about those kind of movies, they found a way to work it into the game in some fashion. It is hilarious and awesome (laughs) yeah so let me go through my day i slept in because i stayed up way too late at the whiskey night and so i slept in i I had to kind of drag peter home (laughs) against his will yes well i mean it wasn't against my will at that point because literally everybody else was gone so it was kind of the end of the night we ended up closing the the place down but uh i I didn't mention this part, but I actually slept when these guys went to dinner. So I had a few drinks. I hadn't eaten dinner. And uh, yeah, I was pretty exhausted. So I ended up sleeping in, which is fine. And then I tried to get to the convention around 10 o'clock, which is when, you know, the convention hall opens. And I ran into a line that was probably 10 blocks long. So I ended up walking from our hotel to the entrance to the convention center. And then that's when the security line hit me in the face. Now, I finally get to the end of this security line, which would have taken me at least two or three hours to get through. And I asked him, I'm like, is the other entrance open? He's like, oh, yeah, other entrance is open, no line. And so I quickly ran over there and got in right away. He was right. There was no line at all. So I think they're still trying to figure stuff out. I think they had hinted that the other entrance wasn't going to be open till after 11, but it certainly was open in the morning. And so this is where my negative of not having any side entrances, I had to walk from one end of the convention hall, which I'd already had to walk to from our hotel all the way to the other end. So that took me probably 20 minutes. And then, you know, that morning I ended up meeting with Mike for a bit. I ended up selling some of the games that didn't get sold at the auction. I met up with those two people that morning. So I got all of that taken care of. I went through some demos with Mike, as we had discussed. And then uh, we met up, had some lunch, and uh, went on with our day. So just to speak about the security lines a little bit, they didn't just hint that the other entrance didn't open until 11. They explicitly said in the, in the emails running up that that entrance wasn't going to open until 11. But apparently they changed their mind on Saturday, and they tweeted 
that they changed their mind. But they only tweeted on the general PAX account. They didn't tweet on the PAX Unplugged account. Now, why they did that, I don't know. But it look, looks like it worked in your favor, Peter. Yeah, no, it definitely worked out because uh, I did have... I almost felt like Rocky running through Philadelphia with like a mob of gamers behind me. I don't know if the music was playing, but for me it was. Do 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 do. Yeah, so that was my uh, that was my fun Saturday morning. But I eventually got in and uh, traded my games away. You have a very active fantasy life. Well, yeah, I'm not playing role playing games. I'm playing live role playing games. Just nobody's GMing them. There you go. And, and speaking of role playing, Jerry, didn't you play another uh, Call of Cthulhu game in the afternoon? Well, I didn't play. Uh, I played a second Call of Cthulhu game at uh, around six, so around dinner time, from six to ten, and that one was. Oh, uh, that's right. That's why you were gone when we were trying to get a game together. I yes. was like, "Where is Jerry?" Yeah, from six to ten, I was doing another Call of Cthulhu game. Uh, this one was in a hunting lodge, a weekend away with various characters. That one was also pretty good. That was a little weird. It dealt with different timelines and, and time travel and, and some wackiness, but that was also a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm glad I got my Call of Cthulhu fix in since I hadn't played in probably a decade. Yeah, and while uh, Jerry was doing that, we met up with Jason Perez. We had dinner with him. And again, that's from Every Night is Game Night, friend of the show. And uh, we had him play uh, our design. We did get one person to play it after all of Peter's prototyping. Yeah, that tends to happen. You know, you do all this work to get prototypes together because everybody says they want to play, and then you end up playing it once the entire weekend or zero times, which is typically what happens. So it's one of those things where you just get caught up in the moment and there's a hundred other things you want to do, and it never happens. So I'm glad it did happen this time. Yeah, and after we played our game, uh, Jason taught us Shadow Rift 2nd Edition. Well, before that, hold on. Before we even played our game with Jason, we ended up playing another game. What was it? Three-something? Oh, what was that game called? Team 3. Team 3. Yeah, so this is a game, another cooperative game for three players exactly. Now, you can play it team-based if you have six, where one team and the other team are racing to do it. But basically, it is three monkeys. You're all playing a monkey. One is the hear-no-evil monkey, one is the see-no-evil monkey, and one is the say-no-evil monkey. And so you have someone who has all of the information who is trying to communicate that to someone who cannot hear anything, and so you're not allowed to talk to that person, but they can say the information, and they are trying to say the information to someone who can't see anything, and that person has to put together the puzzle. So you have all of these pieces, these Tetris-like pieces, and they're different colors, and so the person who knows all the information can't say anything. So they are literally trying to communicate to this person what piece goes where, And the other person is trying to talk that information to the person who can't see anything. And so they're groping with their hands all around the table trying to grab these Tetris pieces. They're like, no, left, right. And the best part is, because these pieces are color-coded, they always say, no, grab the green one, grab the green one. And, of course, the person can't see anything. So, like, I don't know what you're talking about. What is the green one? So it's hilarious fun. Each round lasts three minutes. It's not anything that is going to blow anyone's mind, but at the same time, it's a fun diversion for three minutes. You know, if you got a couple minutes to set it up and play it, we had fun. And of course, it's one of those things where as soon as you're done, you want to set it up again and give everybody a chance to do each of the roles. So if you have exactly three people, which is kind of the hardest part about this game, I think, it's a very weird niche, then I think it's fun to do, but... Again, I mean, it is super filler because you're talking three minutes here. 
Yeah, and Jerry, we got to play this again with you once you finish your RPG thing. What did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, I I thought it was a it was a decent filler. The thing I thought was best about it was it's like a party game if you only have three people. Like if you're at a really lame party, it's a great party <laughs> game. That's my kind of party, Jerry. <laughs> if you have a bit more time, I think something like the Mind is is a, is a better experience at, at for three players. But the Mind does take a little bit longer than three minutes play through. So if you have a really short amount of time before people have to you know depart for the night or something like that, I think this this one fills a niche. Yeah, it was weird for me. I thought the game was entirely fine, but having just played Mental Blocks, it seemed inferior to that one, and that one, of course, has more flexibility with player count. So it made me want to play Mental Blocks more, but that's nothing against uh, Team 3. It was entirely fun and quick and, and definitely decent. It accomplished what it set out to do. By the way, Mike, did I mention that I hate you? Yes, several times. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. I really want to play Mental Blocks, and I'm angry that I haven't played yet. And it's so dumb, because I should just go out and buy it, but I haven't yet. All right, so now I'm up to date. Uh, we played Shadow Rift 2nd Edition with uh, Jason teaching us, and Liz played for a little while, but then she was feeling sick, and then I was feeling sick, and then Jerry showed up. So I, I, I did, did we finish the game? I, oh, yeah, we won, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, we won? Hey, great. I mean, I, I didn't contribute much to that. <laughs> I was gone, like, half of the playtime. That's but, not true. Uh, you just disappeared toward the very end. I think we were uh, we're not doing well. And uh, so Jason and I finished. And Jerry, did you ever jump in at the end, or did we just kind of play for Mike? No, I, I arrived at the end and just watched you guys finish it up. But yeah, it, it seemed it seemed good. Like, I, I liked it. I, I think, you know, I, I sort of had in my mind that it might just be an inferior Aeon's end, but it did feel like its own thing, like deck building in a different way. The, the town is very brought to life in a really cool way way superior to like aeon's end and whatever the the town is called in there gravehold or whatever which is just a life tracker yeah so so that was pretty awesome it seemed like it's a little more fiddly maybe but also has some cool things going on so i definitely want to play that more yeah no i had a lot of fun with it i, I really like the game i mean i don't know that it'll surplant aeon's end for me but i really had a lot of fun with it and it is a very different game uh yes you have a fixed market but you're shuffling the cards and you're building a deck in the middle, which I've never seen any game do. So I, I think that's where this game is unique, right? You're not only deck building your own hand, but you're also deck building the Gravehold deck as well. It's not Gravehold. What is it? I can call it the Gravehold deck. <laughs> Might as well. The Shadow Rift deck. What's the name of the town? All right. I, don't, I don't know what the name of the town is, because the Shadow Rifts are like the things you're closing, right? Yeah. So you're not only building your personal deck, but you're also building the deck for the town as well as a group. So if I got $1 left over, you got $1, maybe somebody else has a magic left over, then we are spending all of that together to like add villagers. So these visitors come to your town and you could buy them with this pooled money that you share together. So I don't know. I it, That part to me was really neat. I don't know about the rest of it. Certainly fighting monsters was pretty neat, how that worked as well, and you taking wounds and stuff. I liked a lot of the elements of the game, but I'd certainly have to play it a lot more before I could come up with a definitive judgment on it. But for first impression, I had a lot of fun with it. And I think that was about it for Saturday, right? Especially with uh, me not feeling so well. Yeah, it was about midnight when we finished up there. Sure, and then we went into Sunday. So we all got a decent night's sleep, and we all got in... Before 10 a.m. this time, because I was not about to wait in a line again. And so it was about 9 when we got in. I think Jerry and I got in together, and we went over to the unpub room. 
Yes, you went to the hidden unpub room that I could not find you at. <laughs> well, yeah, so that was the weird part about the unpub room. It wasn't labeled. It was ra- labeled the conservatory or something. I don't know. It was like Clue. Like you had to find like unpub in the conservatory with the lead wrench. The collaboratory. Okay, so same difference, right? <laughs> uh, no. But yeah, so like they, they were in there, but apparently the doors were closed and it wasn't like officially open. So I didn't know that I could go in. So I just wandered around somewhere else. Well, you couldn't go in. Yes, I, I was not invited to the collaboratory. <laughs> well, it was funny because I felt so bad because I, I mean, I've known those guys for a long time and, and there are lots of people that have known them for a long time. But I just kind of banged on the window and made funny faces at them and they opened the door and let me in. And so I hung out with them all morning. And I was like, Mike, I'm in the unpub room. Come meet me. And he's like, where's the unpub room? And I told him, and he tried to come over apparently, but couldn't get in. So remember how I said I meander a lot? Well, I kind of meandered all morning, and I was there until probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock before I finally got out and decided to meet up with everybody else. So, Jerry, what were you doing at that time before we get into Mike's story? Well, uh, I wandered over to uh, get my Dungeons & Dragons fix. So Dungeons & Dragons was actually completely separate from the other RPGs that uh, were available at the con. It was actually in a, in a separate area. Just a brief shout-out, the D&D stuff uh, was all the Adventurers League, which is their organized play. And at PAX, it's put on by a group called The Roll Initiative, and they just do a great job at, at getting players coming in from basically just off the street and getting them playing with their own characters very quickly. So if you're ever considering playing Dungeons & Dragons at a convention, but you're a little little hesitant because, you know, you don't know how it works at a convention, you don't have a character or whatnot, I can say that these folks at PAX Unplugged really do a great job of getting people who have never played at a con before up and running and having a great time. So I registered for a brief Adventurers League game, and I played that with, I think, six other people plus the DM, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So let's compare and contrast quickly Gen Con to PAX Unplugged. So at Gen Con, you have to buy tickets to get into these RPG events. And they're the same thing, right? They're Adventurers League games. And they have all kinds of RPGs. So if you want to do it, you can get in. So I think the big difference is at PAX, you're standing in line and you have to wait to get in. But it's free. So again, you've already paid your admission. You're getting into these events free. Whereas at Gen Con, you have to pay extra. You have to buy these tickets to get into these events. But there's really no waiting around. You say, all right, I'm buying a ticket for a 6 o'clock event. And you show up at 6 o'clock and you get in. Is that is that your understanding, Jerry? Yeah, that's pretty much my understanding. Uh, and I guess it, it just appeals to different people. So I personally, especially with a convention that's as short as PAX Unplugged, it's only three days and it opens at 10 every morning. I don't like to spend a whole lot of time waiting in line because I have limited amount of time at the convention and just a limited amount of leisure time in general. So I like the Gen Con system where you pre-register for these events. Uh, I mean, sure, I'd prefer it to be free, but paying for the event and having the pre-registration at least lets you put your schedule together in, in advance and you're not spending, you know, an hour or two waiting in line to do an event. Whereas PAX, you don't have to pay anything, everything's free, but if you don't get there by, say, 8.30, you're not getting any of the RPGs. They're going to be all gone by the time you show up. So there's pros and cons to both. I happen to prefer the, the Gen Con system, at least as far as RPGs are concerned. Well, and so here's why they have to charge a fee, because people are like, oh, I got to pay two bucks to get in this thing. And look, yeah, I get it. Money is money, right? But here's where... I fall on the side of the convention and the publishers on this one. 
If you don't pay the two bucks, there's nothing holding you to that time. And in fact, even with people paying two bucks, they don't always show up for their slotted time. So the thing I like about paying for tickets is that you have a group that is supposed to play a game at a certain time, and they're pretty much going to show up because they're financially invested in showing up to this thing. Yes, while it's annoying to have to buy tickets for this, tickets for that, I do think there is a pro to it. On the other side of things, if you don't want to pay, then the only other way to ensure that the people are there at the time they're supposed to is to make them wait in line and then just start it right away. And so that's the PAX model. Yeah, I, I will say the the PAX model does have one benefit in that you never have to worry about no-shows. For each of the popular RPGs, there is a wait list at least 25 people long. So you could have people not show up, and they usually showed up. And you still have a, a large pool of players that will jump in and make sure that you have a full game going forward. So, Mike, I know you haven't done any of these events before, but do you have any preference? Would you rather pay a little bit of money and have a time set up, or would you rather wait in line for it? I mean, having only done this one where things were free and I could play whatever I wanted if I was willing to wait long enough, uh, I think I prefer that. I, 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 In general, like, same thing, I, I always prefer a theme park to uh, a carnival, just to kind of give it a little analogy there. I would rather pay, like, $100 up front, but I can ride wherever the heck I want, as many times as I want, than pay, like, $20 up front, but then get nickeled and dimed to the point where I might have spent more to be able to, like, ride things. So I don't know if that's a direct comparison, but that's the best I got since I haven't been to Gen Con. Well, that's a good comparison, except imagine going into a theme park and then still having to pay more, because Gen Con's more expensive up front, and then you got to pay for each event also. So it's like a theme park yeah, that's not great. that you're paying for <laughs> with microtransactions as well. Yeah, and, and the PAX equivalent is a theme park that you pay you know $100 to get in, and then each ride that's not like the, the teacups is a three-hour wait. Well, that's pretty much every theme park these days, <laughs> so that at least sounds familiar. So what we're saying is we need the Disney of game conventions where, you know, you get a fast pass, at least for the, you know, the thing you're looking forward to the most. I mean, isn't that Gen Con where you pay to not have a line? No, Disney, the fast passes are free. Well, oh. free after you buy your ticket. Yes, nothing at Disney is free. But yes, they are free at least one at a time. So to get back to Sunday, while the guys were disappearing in rooms I could not enter... Uh, I found out, a <laughs> little surprise, that Czech Games Edition, CGE, I don't know if they were like breaking the rules or not to do this, but they had their own entire room on the first floor, and every day of the con, they had been open at 9am, and the con isn't open until 10am, so like, I felt like a fool for just wandering around uh, from 9 to 10 each day of the con, because I could have just been in there playing. So I played uh, Sunday morning from 9 to 10, I played most of a playthrough of Sanctum, this is a competitive game from the designer of Adrenaline. Uh, I forget his full name. I think it's Philip something. I tend to like uh, CGE. I'm a huge fan of Space Alert, Galaxy Trucker, Dungeon Pets, Dungeon Lords. Like, uh, especially Vlada Travadal is uh, one of my favorite designers. But yeah, so Sanctum was awesome. Definitely my competitive game of the con and just under Final Girl for kind of excitement and fun. It's basically he's taken like a Diablo-style kind of dungeon crawler with, like, leveling and loot and turned into this extremely fast, quick, like, kind of push-your-luck system with uh, dice combat and really, really awesome, like, kind of mitigation in the uh, power-ups you get and the uh, class-like abilities you unlock. And the thing is, um, I want to talk about in this episode because 
This is so easy. Well, not so easy. I mean, it'll take a little bit of balancing. It is so easy to make a solo variant for this game. And maybe even a co-op variant. That looks like it would be a little bit tougher. But since it's just a race to, like, get to the final boss and then defeat them, it'd be very simple indeed, I think, to make someone racing you. In fact, there's already a solo variant on BGG. I don't think it looks very good. I think they cut out too much of the fun parts of the game. So, <laughs> I already told Peter and Jerry this. If I can get a copy and no one's made a better solo variant by then, I'll probably make my own solo variant. And I think I might want to do a video of the solo variant on uh, the YouTube channel because this game is really, really, really fun. I'm super excited. Now, uh, you know, Jerry made a big point, and he's right that there aren't uh, big releases at PAX. But sadly, this was a release at PAX. And because I did not find out that you can go into a CG room and play the games until Sunday, they were all sold out by then. So I could not get a copy yet, and I think it's not coming out until February now, so painful to wait that long to uh, get a copy of the game. But yeah, this one, uh, really one to look out for if you like competitive play or if you're interested in doing some kind of uh, unofficial solo variant, because they definitely don't have an official one, unfortunately. So Mike, did you play anything else? Because I don't really have anything on the list till our final thing. Well, uh, you, 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 uh, the next thing I looked at, you kind of came over and looked at with me and we played together. All right, so my memory's bad. Remind me, what did we do on Sunday? (laughs) There was this table, like, all the way in the back corner of the vendor hall, and uh, I just happened to see them Saturday right as vendor hall was closing. Like, we had five minutes before it closed. And that's for a game called the Rune Lords board game. And this is uh, coming to Kickstarter in February. It's based on a fantasy novel series that I have not heard of. Have you heard of this one, Jerry, the Rune Lords? Nope, haven't heard of that one. Okay. So it's a competitive solo and co-op sort of miniatures tactical game with some uh, card play, unique like card faction decks. Uh, Interesting thing is, uh, a few of the interesting things, you've got like a little minion deck and whenever one minion dies, you get a new one the next turn and they're like all unique kind of minions. So that's uh, pretty neat. And then also they've got this fun uh, D20 combat system where only a one misses and then like the better you roll, the more kind of special powers you unlock with your attacking character. So yeah, Peter, you don't remember this? We, we I, I do remember this now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So we played a head-to-head competitive version, but we did see how they're going to change things up for solo. And then they also have a way to draft your own army because each rune lord has their own like preset army, which you guys know that I like. But there's also going to be a way to draft an army before the game. I will say that it seems like they're trying to do a lot here. So that, that is my one thing. I think the combat system is really cool. I think it'll actually be pretty cool for solo from what I've seen. So for our audience, it'll be amazing. But the head-to-head stuff, I, I, there, there's just a lot. There's a lot there. Yeah, that's my one concern. I won't even say it's like a negative right now, but it just seems like for, I think they might be first-time designers. I'm not sure about that. Uh, but it seems like they have like, where, where they could have had one mechanic, they have two or three. You could tell they put their heart and soul in, so I really hope it comes out great. But right now, it's like, oh, and you could do this. And, like, every time they're, like, trying to sell it as a benefit. And it's like, oh, and you could also do this. And I'm like, oh, my God, please stop with the, and you can do this. Like, it's enough. Like, that's great. It's fine. That, that being said, I, I really enjoyed my play with you, uh, even though you were destroying me, I think. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, they did a really good job. It was a good tactical combat game. It reminded me of, like, a lot of these games, similar to, like, a Final Fantasy Tactics-type game or any of these Tactics-types games. You move a unit and you attack. I mean, it's really simple. They have three little colors, so, like, yellow actions were always the move action, I think. Green were the attack, or maybe it was vice versa. And then they have a white action, which is, like, a bonus action. You can interact with something. Or if you have nothing to do with it, you can always move one space. 
I mean, it was a neat, pretty simple system. If they had stuck with that, I think it would be great. The combat system's great. As Mike said, you roll a D20. You almost always hit unless you roll a 1. And then they have a defense. If you hit that number, you do your better attack. And then you also have a critical number where if you hit that even higher number, then you'll do a critical attack. So that in and of itself was a cool system. And then they piled like 30 things on top of it. (laughs) So it may be fun and awesome when all is said and done. But like it's it was overwhelming to learn at a convention. And I even feel like at home there'd be a lot. I mean, I'm still optimistic, so we, we did reach out for possible coverage in the future, uh, so hopefully we'll get a chance to show that to you for real down the line. Well, like I said, I think it'll be really good solo, because solo gamers don't mind that. Look at the number one solo game of all time is Mage Knight, right? I think people who like Mage Knight are going to love this. I mean, I think the system is really good, and if you want complexity in your system, you got it. Like, I, I think it'll be good for a lot of people that way. All right, and then I did uh, look at a few other things. I'll run through them quickly because I know you guys have your uh, big final thing to talk about from Sunday. Um, I saw two things from Grimlord Games. Uh, Village Attacks, I didn't get to play, but they have the uh, Grim Dynasty expansion that kickstarted earlier this year and is coming out next year. That looks really cool. It's like a dice-based sort of tower defense with miniatures, kind of like Zombicide meets tower defense a little bit. And then I got to play some of the Ever Rain, which uh, kickstarted I think in 2018, but uh, looks like they're just about done and should be delivering in 2020. And that's a really cool theme. Uh, it's again Cthulhu. I know there's a lot of Cthulhu, but uh, it's basically like what if the Elder Ones had won and come out of the oceans, and uh, the entire world is just raining nonstop, and like almost everything is buried in water. So you're on ships, like exploring and having adventures and fighting battles. And, like, that stuff was just super cool. Like, the miniatures are great. You actually have a ship board, so you, like, you move your ship around the map, but then you also have a board, and, like, enemies can land on there, and you can, like, be having ship combat as you're sailing, and you can, like, shoot people off each other's ships, and the encounters were fun. Like, you had, like, all these different events that could happen. You would make choices, but there were two copies of every card, so even if you heard the narration, you wouldn't know what choice would lead to. And I think for Solo, they're going to have, like, a little, like, thing you put over it to hide the uh, results until you finish reading and make your choice. So, yeah, really excited about this one. And Village Attacks, too. I'd love to play it. So, uh, Grimlord Games, uh, two things, I guess, coming out this year. And, yeah, those seem pretty cool. And if you heard from last year's packs, I think I talked about this. I played both of those last year, and I really liked them. Village Attacks, for me, was an upgraded Zombicide. Now, I will say Zombicide's had some iterations since then. And uh, I really like the new Zombicide, I think, a little bit better. But it's been a while. So, I mean, Village Attacks is like Zombicide, but the opposite. Instead of going out and trying to accomplish a mission, you were trying to stop the heroes from attacking your base. And the other game, Neverain or ever rain it keeps raining so it's ever rain yeah no i got it <laughs> not never rain yeah i got it and the other game ever rain i really enjoyed as well although i think it'll be better at low player count because i did have some problems with downtime now they may have fixed that since i last played it but i mean it seems really cool as a solo or low player co-op i think that'll be really cool and that was one of my games of last year as well now the funny part is i didn't even realize it was a cthulhu game because for me it's it was kind of like a Pirates of the Caribbean game because you're going around, you're exploring islands, you got your own pirate ship, you're hiring crew. So for me, it was a pirate game, not a Cthulhu game at all. I mean, it, it is a pirate game, but when monsters show up, they're Cthulhu monsters. And if you do poorly enough, they have this, oh my gosh, this awesome giant miniature that plops down and covers half the ocean <laughs> that you have to try to shoot with your ship. So uh, it's it's Cthulhu meets pirates, I guess. Cool. 
You know, one game I just realized that we forgot to talk about that Jerry and I played on, I forget if it was Friday or Saturday, I think it was Saturday, is Orcs Must Die. Talking about village attacks reminded me of that. It's another miniatures defend your town game. So I know, Jerry, your opinion on it wasn't as high as mine, but why don't you tell me uh, what you thought about the game? So I didn't really have high hopes for Orcs Must Die, but it, it did manage to exceed my expectations in that it was it, it was it was a fun little game. I mean, it did definitely feel somewhat like the video game where, you know, the orcs are coming in and you have to lay traps while at the same time use, using your hero to sort of beat back the horde. And it was uh, generally fun. I, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of game there. I mean, we, we beat it. Uh, granted, it was the first level, but... We beat it handily. I mean, we were never in any real danger of coming close to losing, and I'm sure it got harder, but I'm not sure there would be a sweet spot as far as balance is concerned. I have a feeling that either you'd run away with it or it'll just kill you right away. So I'm glad I played it. It was fun, but I'm not really anxious to play it again. Yeah, no, I had a lot of fun with it. I think it's a game I Nicholas and I would really like to play. Now am I going to go out and buy it? That I'm not sure of. But I, I thought it was really good. Like, I don't know why it got so much bad press or it didn't get any press at all. It's got great miniatures. If you like the game Orcs Must Die, it really emulated that to me. And it was quick to play. It was simple. You know, we talked earlier about learning a game at a con is not always the best thing to do. Well, we learned it no problem at the con and had a lot of fun with it. Now, we did play level one. I am hoping the difficulty will scale appropriately because we did beat it pretty easily. But, I mean, I kind of expect to beat a game you're playing it easy pretty easily. So, hopefully, you know, it scales up appropriately. I mean, if I judged my first play of Marvel Champions, I mean, we killed that as well. So, you know, that to me is not necessarily a con. As long as they have things that they can do to ramp up the difficulty, and I feel like there are enough things that they can do and that they did do in the game, that I'm curious to see what the future levels play like and laying traps was really cool and getting new upgraded items was really cool so no i really like this one so i'm going to disagree with you a bit on the easy to learn aspect of it we we managed to sit down and learn the game because that the game itself isn't that complicated but the rules were atrocious Uh, i mean there were there were whole things in there that there it didn't even mention how to even set up the game properly uh that was really really frustrating yeah the rules were awful all right so the last thing we did, so while Mike was playing Everrain, and well, did hold you... on, did neither of you guys take a look at uh, Frosthaven or Dark Tower? Well, I was going to say those are the last thing I had to bring up too. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can do a PAX recap without mentioning Frosthaven and well, Frosthaven at least. But yeah, so I mean, so I looked at Frosthaven, looked at Jaws of the Lion. That's the uh, sort of small box, uh, like twenty scenario, I think, or thirty scenario expansion for Gloomhaven coming out. And I looked, I watched a little bit of a playthrough of Return to Dark Tower from Restoration Games. Uh, none of these I have a lot to share because I didn't actually get to play, and there's only so much you can kind of glean from observing. I mean, especially <laughs> like Frosthaven and Jaws of a Lion. I was like, oh, it looks like Gloomhaven. I can sort of see tiny text on cards. But until you, like, you know, sit down and get to dig through the deck of your unique abilities and stuff, I don't think you can really say much about it. But, you know, look like more Gloomhaven, cool abilities. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to try it out. Yeah, my understanding on Frosthaven is that it's the exact same rule set as Gloomhaven. It's just new classes and new scenarios. 
Right, and that, that's what I heard about Jaws of the Lion as well. So, yeah, like, until you sit down, I don't think there's anything to really be excited about except the fact that it's going to happen, and that's cool. Well, yeah, so it's interesting for me because I am more curious about Jaws of the Lion than Frosthaven because Frosthaven is going to be basically the same game of Gloomhaven over again with all new stuff, which is very cool. If you've never played Gloomhaven, it gives you a new entry point. It gives you a new huge campaign if that's what you want. But for me, I'm curious to, and it's funny, because if this Jaws of the Lion game is exact same mechanics, not streamlined at all, I mean, that's to some degree what I want, but then why wouldn't I just want a whole nother big campaign? But I do. That's what I want. I want the smaller campaign, and I think it's so I can actually finish it. And <laughs> so, I don't know. Frosthaven should be more appealing because you get more content in it. But for me, uh, I'm really curious about what they do with this shorter campaign. I mean, I'm with you. I, I, I've definitely found that for campaign games, my sweet spot is like six minimum missions. Probably eight is a little bit better than that. Up to like maybe 12, 13, 14, 15. So something like Arkham Horror campaigns, Journeys in Middle Earth on kind of like the long end. That's about as much as I want from one of these games. And, like, Tainted Grail, you know, is kind of, I think, within that same sort of ballpark. Yeah, I, I really enjoy Gloomhaven, but definitely the base game was a little bit much for me. I, I never finished it, which I think says a lot right there. Well, I think one of the big benefits, and you know as well as I do, anytime a designer gets to go back to their baby, they can do things with it that they didn't think of the first time around. So... I mean, I guess the big thing for both of these campaigns is I'm curious what Isaac did to improve on the system. One of the problems we had with the base game was that the missions felt repetitive. What we saw, even just with his one-off missions that he's come up with, that he's come up with some really cool ideas. So if I had to buy one, you know, once Frosthaven comes out, I would probably buy Frosthaven over Gloomhaven at this point, just because I think it'll be... Even if all the rules are the same, I think Isaac as a designer has evolved and certainly evolved within his system. So I'd be curious to see what he does in Frosthaven better than what he did in Gloomhaven. Savannah, I also did look at Return to Dark Tower. This one I didn't get a great feel for. Like I was able to see several turns played. I saw kind of what the options are for the players. I saw the, the app being used and the tower spinning and lighting up and stuff. Restoration has been hot or cold for me in their releases in general. And I'm not sure how I feel about this one. The core gameplay decisions, like on your turn, seemed fine. But like your your player turns seemed really quick and you didn't do a lot. At least that's the sense I got from watching a bunch of it. And it seemed like you spent a lot of time with the app, like reading events and resolving things and moving enemy units. So I think there will be a lot of toy factor. Like, the tower, like, would spin, and you'd, like, open doors up, and things would be revealed underneath it. That seems pretty neat, I guess. But I, th- I-, I-, I got the feeling you'd be spending more time running the app and playing the tower than you will actually making meaningful decisions in the game. So it seems like it might be banking more on the toy aspect than on, like, really cool gameplay decisions. Now, again, this is super, super <laughs> preliminary, like, barely, like, really seeing how the game plays. So take this with a grain of salt until we actually get a chance to uh, see it in action or try it. But, yeah, for now, I'm not super optimistic about that one. I'm not sure uh, it's going to be one that I really enjoy much. Well, did you play the original Dark Tower ever? I did not. But, yeah, see... I- I don't think Restoration Games is playing on the toy aspect as much as it's playing on the nostalgia aspect. Similar to Fireball Island, 
if you played Fireball Island and you had fond memories of it like I have, I mean, Fireball Island is actually a terrible game, the old version. The, they've added some real game elements to the new version, and it still you know scratches that nostalgia itch. So I have a lot of fun playing that with my kids, for example. And I think it's going to be the same thing with Dark Tower. If you played Dark Tower and you have fond memories of it, it's going to be entertaining because it's going to be a little bit more gamey, a little bit more interesting decisions than maybe the, the original Dark Tower. But no, I, I think people coming into it cold aren't really going to appreciate it as much as someone who has it stimulate good feelings from it having played it in the past when they were younger. Now, I will say as one little addendum that everyone playing the game seemed to be having a great time. <laughs> so I could just be way off base here because I wasn't actually in the game. Like, none of them seemed to be bored or seemed to think that their decisions didn't matter. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm like Mike in the fact that I've been hot or cold with restoration games. But at the same time, I am much more tolerant to app-based stuff and AI stuff. And So, for example, I like Project Elite. And Mike was a little bit cooler on it because he didn't like doing all the fiddly AI stuff. Whereas for me, it didn't matter. I don't mind stuff when it's mindless AI stuff. It's when you have to add 50 modifiers that it bothers me. So I think, and I don't mind app stuff as much either. For example, I like Journeys in Middle Earth better than you did, I think. So for me, none of that bothers me. So I'm really excited to try it. I'm really excited to play it. And uh, I mean, I hope I love it. So that's uh, about it for me. I just kind of wandered around and had lunch while you both played something cool. So I haven't talked about it much on the podcast, but I talk about it a lot in the Slack, and I've talked a lot about it with people one-on-one. I think my favorite game of all time has become Keyforge, and I just love it. So I was dying all weekend to play a tournament of Keyforge, and finally on Sunday, Mike was playing Everrain, which I'd already played, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to play a Keyforge tournament. And I ran into Jerry. I'm like, Jerry join me. Let's play some Keyforge. And Jerry hadn't been a big Keyforge player. He played it once or twice at my house. Although I think you're the first one to buy decks and you introduced me to it. Yep. So you started this addiction for me. Uh, I'm your pusher. Right. So, but I think I pushed you back. I don't know how that works exactly. Cause then we'd be going away from each other. I don't know. It's a whole magnetism thing, but bottom line is I introduced you to doing sealed tournaments, which means you just buy a deck for 10 bucks, which is how much you pay for it. And then you play three games with it against random strangers at a convention or at a game store or whatever. And we did that at EuroQuest, which is local con to us. And then we did it again at PAX. And I don't know. I pulled the worst deck ever and I played horribly and I went 0 and 3 and I still had a blast playing. So Jerry's experience was a little different because he did way better than I did. And did you even beat me in that tournament? No, I didn't even play you. Oh, right, right, right. Well, if you had played me, you would have beat me. Trust me. I know. <laughs> the The student becomes the master. Yeah, you, you just didn't play better. very good. I mean, come on, get good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still had a blast. And I, I know the decks are random, and it uses... We did review Discover, which is another game that uses this random format where they randomly generate things and discover they randomly generate the scenario you're going to play and they combine it with a setting you're going to play in but here literally the entire deck is randomly generated now they have some algorithms where you're not going to have zero creatures or anything but you know for the most part it's randomly generated and even with getting one of the weaker decks that i've ever played with I still had fun playing and actually I ended up playing with Cody Miller, the designer of Zaya during my last game. And he and I just had a blast. I mean, we were both Owen too. He kicked my butt, but I mean, we had such fun playing and we're just 
goofing around and, you know, just enjoying the system while we're playing it and geeking out a little bit. So that that was a lot of fun. I, I love playing Keyforge, even when I'm losing. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the game. The game's fine, and I don't think I'd play a tournament other than Sealed where you're looking at the deck the first time and you didn't have to have spent a whole bunch of time practicing with your deck or anything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of fun at the tournament. I think most of the fun I had was the opponents I was playing were, were all fun to play with. I also played against Cody. He was a lot of fun to play against. He was a great sport. Played against a guy who came in second in the tournament, I think. He was uh, nice. He smacked me down pretty early, so uh, we got to spend some time talking about various things related to similarities in our occupations. And the third one I played against was uh, the owner of our local game store, who happened to be at PAX as well. And he's always good to talk to and and helpful with the rules. So I I had a good time playing with the players. The decks and the game are are definitely fun, but really it's the player that makes the game for, for Keyforge for me. Yeah, and I'll say I've played a lot of, well, not a lot, but I've played several tournaments at our local game store that Jerry was referring to. And I I think that's part of the reason I like the game as well. The people who play it, because they know there's randomness, and and it's something similar. Here's a little bit of a design discussion at the end for you. It's something similar to the mind for me, where when I draw a bad deck, you know, you have a bad pull in the mind where you have one, two, or whatever. You have 49, 50. If you win with that bad pull, you feel super smart, even though you might have played somebody who had a worse pull than you, right? But if you don't win because of that random nature of the deck that you're getting, you can always blame it on the deck. And I think that is one of the things I like about it is you can't take it too seriously because you could just get that bad pull. And it's not 100% skill-based, although there is still a lot of skill. Like if I played somebody, even with a worse deck, that is new to the game, I feel like I would still win. But at the same time, you know, you always have that out. So you never feel super bad about losing. So for me, I think that's one of the things I love about it. But the thing I love more is that my son and I play it all the time. He has a blast with the game. And, you know, any moments you can share with your kids, we've talked about this on episodes in the past too, always make a game better. And so if I didn't have those friends, somebody like Jerry to play with, somebody like my son to play with, And certainly they didn't have that sealed tournament format where I could just go to the store, pick up a deck and play it with that person. And then I get to take that deck home and play it as much as I want with my kid. I think all of that together is just great for me. And then we went home. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Then it was over and it's over for you guys, too. I think you've had enough of an episode. Thanks for sticking with us. It has been one of our longer episodes, but hopefully you got value out of it. Something at least stuck out in your brain. And if not, listen again and share it with your friends. (laughs) And stay tuned for a week or two from now when we will do our top 20 list of games we covered on the podcast for 2019. Should be awesome. Yeah, so our top 20 list. I know that's one of our most popular ones every year. So I know you're looking forward to it. I know Jerry's looking forward to it. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Appointment listening for Jerry. (laughs) That's right. Well, thank you for joining us, Jerry. And this is the time of year to be thankful for stuff. We just passed Thanksgiving. It's holiday season. Jerry, thank you. Because, you know, a lot of the games we've played, a lot of the co-ops we've covered this year, Jerry's played with us at least one of those times. So Jerry is definitely part of the show, whether he's on it or not. So we are very thankful for you, Jerry, and all you do for us. And just playing games with you is cool. Well, and I'm even thankful for most of the games I play with you. So, I mean, we got that going for us. 
But uh, thanks for having me. It's always uh, a pleasure to be on. All right, Mike, why don't you wrap us up? Uh, yeah, go play Keyforge, I guess. I, I played it once. It was okay. <laughs> thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another Top 5 list. This is why we don't invite Jerry on anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. One, two, hold on. Hey, you. <laughs> Is that going to make it in the bloopers? No. Uh, potentially. <laughs> so I ended up talking to a lot of people I knew. I go to a lot of these conventions now, so I do know a lot of people. And, well, that sounds conceited. Oh, do we want to get Jerry's thoughts on Spirit Island? Because he wasn't on the episode. Er, just keep going. No. Okay. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> but this year, I ended up meeting an owner of an escape room from in that general area, and he had never played the mind. So, you know me, I had a pocky of the... I had a pocky of the mind? I had a copy of the mind pocky, in my... Copy, pocky? Pocky. Pocky mind. It's like I, Pokemon, only it's for the mind. Yes. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. I tend to like uh, CGE. I'm a huge fan of Space Alert, Galaxy Trucker, Dungeon Pets, Dungeon Lords. Like, especially Vlada Chavadal uh, just hits me in the right spot. That sounded weird. Then it was over. And it's over for you guys, too. I think you've had enough of an episode. I'm pretty sure this is two episodes, Peter. No, we're going to put it all in one, man. No reason not what? to. Are you serious? Why not? I uh, know. When you cut it down, it's going to be like an hour 20. Uh, all right. I mean, it'll probably be an hour and a half, but we've had an hour and a half episodes before. Yeah, I guess you're right. All right, that's cool. I mean, it's definitely going to be better for our timeline to fit in an end of the year episode and let Steve do something. Well, right. Exactly. So, no, this will probably right. be one. Yeah, so here, why don't you close that again? Sorry. Hey, guys. Go dice. Yeah. Go dice. End scene. By the way, uh, do not support Go Dice. <laughs> well, you know, but make make your own buying decisions. I think it seems a little silly. <laughs> and as promised, here's a little clip from Isofarian Guard from Foreteller. Definitely check out this app when it comes out. I hope you enjoyed this audio. I know we did. Pavel and Yana are glowing. You blink your eyes, but nothing changes. They just stand there, glowing. Stonebound. The words form in your mind. You immediately begin scrambling for other explanations. A trick of the light, a hallucination, anything to explain how two people can be standing right in front of you, glowing. Captain? Yana's quiet voice pulls you out of your thoughts. You look up to see she's staring at you. What? Your voice catches. You can't seem to remember how to speak. Captain, it's okay. Everything will be okay. 
she smiles and places a small stone in your hand. Time ceases to exist. You're surrounded by an immense presence that threatens to overwhelm your senses. Pieces of your life flash before your eyes. Your father teaching you how to string a bow. Fishing for striped fish in the hole in the lake ice. Laying in the loft as mother's stories fill your head with wonder each night. You also see darker things. Stealing a chicken from Brother Fen's yard. Bloodying Carl's nose in a childhood fight. The terror of your first battle. The face of the first soldier you ever killed. Just a boy whimpering for his life as you struck again and again, trying to silence him. You look up and see a vast darkness stretching out before you. Tenebrous. It rolls over you like a fog, burying you in shame and regret. Suddenly, a voice calls out to you from beyond the chaos. You turn to the voice, and the darkness is shattered. You breathe in, out, and everything is okay. When you finally open your eyes, your guards are all around you, 